The today's Bible reading comes from Leviticus 17, 1 to 16, and also 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21. Leviticus 17, 1 to 16, eating blood forbidden. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb or a goat in the camp or outside of it, instead of bring it in, bring it into the entrance of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacles of the Lord, that people shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They have shed blood and must be cut off from their people. This is so the Israelites will bring the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest, that is to the Lord, at the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. The priest is to splash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as an aroma pleasing to the the Lord. They must not... They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. Say to them, any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord must cut off from the people of Israel. I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I'll cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. And it is the blood and that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreign, foreigner reside among you eat blood. Any Israelite or any foreigner residing among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth, because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature, because the life of every creature is its blood, and anyone who eats it must be cut off. Anyone, whether native-born or foreigner, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be ceremonially unclean till evening. Then they'll be clean. But if they do not wash their clothes and bathe themselves, they will be held responsible. So the next passage comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 21. Be holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb with blemish, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And it's uh, great to uh, be with you uh, here today, with all of you today. And uh, again, thanks for the opportunity to share God's word with you. Before we look at this passage, let's pray. Father God, we pray that 
uh, by your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts that we may uh, follow you and, and love you and serve you wholeheartedly. And we pray this uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. Amen. In C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the witch invoked her rights under the deep magic of the emperor to kill young Edmund, one of the four Pevensey children, for being a traitor. She said to Aslan, the lion, concerning Edmund, that human creature is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. Unless I have blood, as the law says, all Narnia will be overturned and perish in fire and water. Then Aslan and the witch talked at length. And if you've read the book or seen the movie, you know that Aslan negotiated with the witch to die in Edmund's place. And so Edmund lived. And Aslan died. But that, of course, is not the end of the story. C.S. Lewis's story shows how the death of an animal, albeit a very special and powerful one, was accepted in the place of the boy Edmund for Edmund's wrongdoing. Aslan willingly forfeited his life for Edmund. That's a lovely picture of atonement. Today we're looking at Chapter 17 of Leviticus, which is a kind of bridge. You've looked at Chapters 1 to 16 of Leviticus, which focuses on the uh, which focus on laws for the priests and the people concerning the tabernacle. And you saw that the holiest day of the Israelite calendar was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And in the coming weeks, you'll be looking at chapters 18 to 26, which prescribe how the Israelites were to live godly in their everyday lives. These chapters are referred to as the holiness code or holiness laws. So chapter 17 is a bridge between these two sets of laws, between the laws about the tabernacle and the, sacrif and the sacrifices and the laws about living godly lives. Chapter 17 addresses two main issues. The first is that the Israelites kept falling into idolatry. And the second issue is the Israelites were commanded to eat nothing that contained blood. Now, the Lord told the priests and people that they were to worship only him and only in his way. The priests were to lead by example in honouring the Lord by worshipping as he commanded. But the priests Nadab and Abihu, who were Aaron's sons, disobeyed Yahweh's command and offered unauthorised fire before the Lord. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That's in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. 
Now, this was a shocking lesson to everyone, but especially to their father, Aaron, and also the priests. Now, in chapter 17, Yahweh commands every Israelite to bring the animals of ox, lamb, or goat. They were to offer as sacrifices to Yahweh to the entrance of the tent of meeting for the priests to slaughter. If they didn't follow the Lord's procedure and kill the animals somewhere else, either inside or outside the camp, they would be guilty of bloodshed and must be cut off from their people. That's in verse 4. And in particular, no Israelite was to make a sacrifice to Yahweh in the open fields, verse 5. Why were the Israelites forbidden from making a sacrifice in the open fields? Why were they commanded to bring their animals to the entrance of the tent of meeting for the priests to sacrifice? Well, verse 7 tells us it was to put an end to their idolatry. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. You see, idolatry lived deep in the hearts of the Israelites. You might recall in Exodus 32, Aaron, the high priest, had led the Israelites in the idolatrous worship of the golden calf. Here in Leviticus 17, the command is to all the Israelites to stop their ongoing idolatrous behaviour by following the Lord's procedure. The Israelites were in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. It was like a marriage contract where Yahweh would be their God and they would be his people. In their pursuit of idols, the Israelites did not merely act in an adultery, in an adulterous way, breaking their marriage bond, but they prostituted themselves to these false gods. According to Leviticus 17, verse 7, the Israelites were offering sacrifices to goat idols. Now, the Hebrew word is usually translated goat, but here in verse 7 of chapter 17, English verses, versions translate the word as goat idols or demons, as in the NIV, or goat demons, as in the English Standard Version. We have evidence elsewhere that the Israelites sacrificed to demons. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 17, tells us that the Israelites sacrificed to demons at Baal Peor in Moab. In the New Testament, Paul also spoke, spoke about sacrificing to demons. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 to 20, Paul acknowledged that an idol is nothing. Yet nevertheless, he notes that in sacrificing to idols, pagans were making sacrifices to demons and not to God. He didn't want the Corinthian Christians to have anything to do with demons. There are still professing Christians who live in fear of demons. 
some even try to make peace with ancestral gods but by pouring out drink offerings and offering food as gifts. Leviticus 17 verse 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 reminds us of the reality of demons. But we also know from elsewhere in the New Testament that Christ not only defeated sin and death, but also the devil and his demonic forces. The Gospel of Mark, for example, shows how Christ exercised his power and authority over demons when he cast them out of people they had possessed. Mark chapter 1, verses 34 and 39. And, of course, Jesus himself resisted the devil's temptation to worship him. He rebuked the devil with the Bible from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, with these words, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. We are to worship God alone. The second major issue that chapter 17 addresses is that the Israelites were commanded to eat nothing that contained blood. We see that in verses 10 to 12, and especially verses 13 to 14. Whereas verses 10 to 12 apply to animals they were to sacrifice, verses 13 to 14 apply to animals they were allowed to eat, but not sacrifice. Wild animals such as deer and gazelle, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 15, and wild birds such as quail, Numbers 11, verse 31. For those wild animals and wild birds, they had to drain their blood and cover it with soil before they ate them. This isn't the first time the prohibition against eating animal blood occurs in Leviticus. There are earlier references in Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17, and chapter 7, verse 26. But chapter 17 goes to another level in showing how serious this issue was. Yahweh declared in 17, verse 10, what he would do to anyone who broke that command. I will set my face against that person and I will cut him off from his people. What was involved in Yahweh cutting off the offender? Well, we're not really told. Suggestions include premature death at the hands of Yahweh or expulsion or even execution by the Israelite community. Whatever it meant, it was very serious. As well as giving instructions about what not to do and who the command applied to, in verse 11, the Lord also explained why the eating of blood was offensive to him. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement by the life in the blood. If we look more carefully at verse 11, we'll see that the Lord gives three reasons why eating animal blood is offensive to him. First, the life of a creature is in the blood. 
Simply put, drain blood from an animal and they will die. By abstaining from eating flesh with blood in it, the Israelites would be honouring life. To eat blood was to dishonour life. This idea with the sacredness of human life was linked to not eating blood goes right back to the time of Noah, as we see in Genesis chapter 4, 9 rather, verse 4. Second, Yahweh himself had, had given the life of the sacrificial animal to make atonement for the lives of the Israelites. The Lord can give life because the Lord owns it. All life belongs to Yahweh. When he gives that life to make atonement, he does so graciously. The Hebrew in verse 11 is quite emphatic about Yahweh himself giving it. He didn't have to, but he did. How gracious is that? The third reason is that the blood makes atonement by means of the life. In Leviticus 16, the previous chapter, which sets out the rituals on the Day of Atonement, the verb to make atonement there meant to wipe clean, for example, in Leviticus 16, verse 14. There, the blood was a cleaning agent applied to purify an object that was polluted by sin. But in non-sacrificial settings like Exodus 21, verse 30, you can look that up for yourself later, that same Hebrew word can also mean to pay a ransom so that a guilty person doesn't suffer the death penalty as required by God's holiness. This meaning of paying a ransom seems to fit best here in Leviticus 17, verse 11. You see, the animal blood is a ransom payment for the life of the human and atones for human sin. This ransom payment of the blood of the animal sacrifice turns aside the wrath of the Lord against the sinner. Because animal blood atones for human sin as ordained by the Lord, it is sacred and ought not to be consumed by man. The idea that the blood makes atonement is foundational to the New Testament understanding of the death of Christ. According to the New Testament, the sacrifices anticipate and foreshadow the death of Jesus Christ. The only perfect and effectual sacrifice who redeems us from our sins. As Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 states, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 also wonderfully remind us, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed 
from the empty way of life handed do, down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So we've looked at the commands in Leviticus 17, and they show us clearly that the Lord wants all of the hearts of his people. That's why the sacrificial system was centralised at the tabernacle through the priests. The Lord won't tolerate idolatry, nor even shared worship of anything else or anyone. A divided heart simply will not do. Just as Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. One will eventually prevail. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Now, idols come in different forms. It may be a thing. It may be a person. It may be that promotion that you're so desperate for. It may be a family member. It may be human approval. You know, even a good thing can become an idol if it becomes an ultimate thing. If that good thing becomes something that we just can't live without, then it's an idol. We all have idols we need to get rid of so that we love and serve the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. What idol do you need to get rid of? The atoning death of Jesus Christ has not only cleansed us from all sin, but also paid the ransom so that we did not have to forfeit our lives. Jesus redeemed us, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood. You know, that means we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. So let's live for him. What might that look like, especially in these difficult times of pandemic and lockdown, when our lives have been turned upside down. This coming week, let's focus on and apply these commands from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Three very simple commands. Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances. And he goes on to say, for this is, the, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, rejoice always. Joy is not caused by our circumstances. Through his atoning death, Jesus has reconciled us to God and secured for us a living hope. 
That's cause for great joy. Rejoice always. Then too, pray continually. Offer up prayers of lament and intercession for the current state of things and pray that we might shine for Jesus in these trying times. Pray, let your kingdom come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Lastly then, give thanks. There's plenty to thank God for, even in a pandemic. May the words from this old hymn encourage you to give thanks. When life's billows, when a, sorry, I'll start again. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Let's pray. Father God, the Apostle John commands little children, guard yourselves from idols. Help us to rid ourselves of those things that draw our hearts away from you and empower us to guard our hearts against them. May we, through the Holy Spirit, love and serve you wholeheartedly. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you that through your atoning death, you paid the ransom for our sins that we might live. We belong to you. Help us, therefore, to live holy lives that glorify you. Holy Spirit, in these difficult and distressing times, help us to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now it is time for the Q&A. Uh, Andrew, you're ready for that. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, I'm sure you will. <laughs> Uh, before we jump to the Padlet, uh, I can see we've got two already on that. Uh, we'll just quickly check if there is on any on Zoom chat. Um, and if not, then we'll get right on to the Padlet. And for those who are with us, be, you know, feel free to unmute yourself if you have any question and just ask and speak um, and we'll, we'll um, address them. Okay. Um, if not, uh, we'll go to Padlet uh, for the first question. Um, how does this chapter relate to drinking Jesus' blood in the Lord's Supper? <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose Leviticus um, deals with, um, the, uh, as we know, the core teaching uh, of Leviticus or foundational teaching is the to do with the sacrificial system. And um, 
Interestingly, um, the word blood occurs in the Old Testament some 360 times, 88 of those times it occurs in the book of Leviticus. And this chapter, actually, chapter 17, has more references to blood than any other chapter in Leviticus. It has 13. So um, ultimately, all the sacrifices, as Hebrews says, point to the ultimate sacrifice, uh, which is um, to do with uh, Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross. My recollection is that... Um, uh, most com the commentators that I read said that in actual fact, Jesus's death, there wasn't actually a lot of blood uh, when he was crucified. Um, but it, 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 the, the important thing is that it uh, symbolises, it speaks mostly of his death, laying down his life. And so that's the critical thing. So the connection there is to do with... Um, uh, it, as we participate in that, in the Lord's Supper, we remember that he did lay down his life for us. Um, and that's symbolised, I suppose, by the shedding of blood. So that's how uh, I would frame it. Um, I don't know, John, if, if John's got any other thoughts, if you have any other thoughts on that, John? Yeah, it's a tricky question. Like I hadn't actually thought of it until this question came up because Leviticus tells you to not drink the blood and then when Jesus gives the Lord's Supper, it's like drink this representation of my blood. So it's almost like a conflicting or it's, yeah, uh, these are all new thoughts. So I, I don't have an answer. These are thoughts at the moment. Okay, can I add one other thing, which yeah, yeah. I suppose, because I didn't touch on it in the sermon, and, and it is a question that uh, is probably a chapter, uh, a sermon in itself, was the fact that we mustn't forget too that Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 that there was nothing unclean, there was no food that was unclean. Um, that was a big, that was a big uh starting point i mean that was a big turning point for the uh, disciples i think in mark chapter 7 um and i think it's verse uh 19 but before that um there was an issue about uh them being uh unclean um and jesus was um um, saying, well, you know, it's not really what's outside of you that makes you unclean. Um, and he, in verse 18, he says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his blood. In saying this, and this is a, a, a comment by um, Mark, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. We see a turning point, don't we? And that becomes an issue in the New Testament. You may recall in Acts chapter 15, there was a, the Council of Jerusalem um, had to resolve this issue about whether the law was binding on the Gentile believers. 
And um, they said, well, hang on a minute. No, but um, in, towards the end of it, they sent out a letter and, um, and it, um, in that letter they said, um, one of the things they said was, it seemed, verse 28 of chapter 15, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, sound familiar? From the meat, uh, sorry, sacrificed to idols, and then from blood, and then from the meat of strangled animals and other things as well. But there it was, uh, I believe, it's an issue of accommodation to the sensitivity of the Jewish believers, um, Jewish Christians, because you remember earlier in Acts chapter 10, I think it was, Peter had the vision of the sheets coming down and with all these unclean things and him you know, protesting to God that he'd never eaten anything unclean and, and God says, listen, what I, what I call clean, don't call unclean, you know, um, so you can eat it. So um, there's that. And another passage that I, uh, that's worth looking at is Romans chapter 14, um, where Paul has some uh, interesting verses and uh, particularly, I think it was uh, two and three, because um, there you had the situation of the weaker brother. Um, and uh, also in um, verse, um, sorry, uh, just lost it there. Um, I think it's... Oh, yes, verse 14, um, 13 and 14. Uh, let us start, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your reading destroy your brother for whom Christ died. So I hope there's some principles there. Does that directly answer the question that's been raised? Possibly not, but I think, um, and the other thing that I think about is Hebrews Chapter 9, I think, talks about the importance of a covenant needs to be sealed with blood. And so um, um, I think um, that is not, is not irrelevant to the fact that I think uh, where Jesus says this is the blood of the new covenant. So I think that would be my attempt at a more direct answer that, I think the the blood in the Lord's Supper is the the blood that um, seals the new covenant. So, like in Exodus, there had to be a bull sacrificed to seal the old covenant. The blood of the new covenant is Jesus' blood. The blood in Leviticus isn't about establishing a new covenant, um, but it's about the 
the removal of sins. So I think the the blood when Jesus tells us to eat uh, or to sorry to drink his blood in um, the Lord's Supper, he's saying to be part of the new covenant because like they would when the old covenant was established, they sprinkled the blood of the bull on the people. So they kind of took the blood on themselves. I guess maybe the drinking is like similar to the splashing in that you're remembering, oh, this, this blood comes onto me, into me. Um, and in that way, I'm part of the new covenant. So I think that would be my attempt at a, at an answer. Um, yeah, good question. I, I, I think that could be the answer. I don't know for sure. Well, I think you're right, John, about Hebrews 9 there. It's pretty clear about, um, you know, Christ's blood uh, being sprinkled as part of the new covenant. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely his blood. The blood in the Lord's Supper is about the establishing of the new covenant, not about the removal of sins. So that's a really interesting distinction. Okay, thank you, John, and thank you, Andrew, for that. Um, I think the next question, I think, sort of maybe uh, tied in a bit to that. Um, what's the connection between the blood of, as life and not being able to eat it? I think, I think um, well, the blood symbolised the life, didn't it? Um, yep. Like I said, if you, if you lose your blood, um, you've got little chance of surviving. That's why uh, they always have um, plenty of blood available normally for a, uh, an operation to ensure that uh, the patient um, uh, doesn't bleed to death in certain circumstances if something goes wrong. Um, so um, that's why there's that, um, I think, Therefore, life is life is sacred, uh, and the um, um, uh, as symbolised by the blood, and that's why he didn't need it, and that's why it was a way of honouring it. I think that's what goes right all the way back to Genesis chapter nine, verse four. Like I said, this is not a new principle, um, and re- you know, if we um, look at it. Uh, that's in relation to uh, the animals as well, so it's um, it's it's honouring honouring that. Uh, of course, most particularly in relation to us as human indiv- humans, because we're made in the image of God. That takes it to a you know an, another level, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I hope that answers the questions. Um, moving on to the next one is. If an Israelite drank blood, does that mean they have the life of that animal in them? Like, what did it really mean? Um, I think there's a there's a suggestion. I think that uh, that might have been um, the thinking behind some, but um, I think it was. Uh, you know, it. I don't know for sure if that's what they thought. Um, 
but it was, uh, but it wouldn't surprise if they did think if there was that that sort of thinking. But um, it was more a case of they had to be distinctive from those around them as well. I think that was part of the thing, um, and um, and so there's that sacredness concerning um, life um, that's, I suppose, underscored, uh, particularly in relation to the sacrificial animals. Um, and uh, I'm, that's not dismissing the bit about the wild birds and the wild uh, game uh, that was permitted to be eaten. Um, I don't okay. know that I can do any better than that. I don't know that that really answers the question either. John, have you got any thoughts? Um, yeah, so uh, I I don't think that they, well, I guess maybe they would have thought that they had the life in them, but I think it's maybe more about um, misusing blood. So I think verse... 10 verse 11 says i've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves so it's almost like the purpose of blood it's like god's made this world and he's put blood in animals to atone for us almost i don't know if that's too much to say but um it seems like blood life is in the blood and that blood that life is not meant to is not created by God for us to drink it and kind of attain life that way. But that life is meant to be given to God on the altar and have like forgiveness of sins and life in that way. So it's like, I think it's more about misusing it. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think it's, I guess in some sense they would have thought they had life in them, but that would be the wrong way to get life. Maybe mm. I think that's right in relation to the sacrificial animals, but um, I'm not sure that that would apply to animals that you could eat, but not mm. that weren't subject to the sacrifice. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's not an easy one either, is it? Mm. Um, yeah. But the same principle is there that. You must not drain out the uh, because the life of every creature, verse fourteen and 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 thirteen, I think it is in the blood. Um, that yeah. is why you must not eat the blood of any creature. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's it's like the like you don't we're stewards of God's creation, but we still have to treat them in the way that God's kind of. Sure. Told us to, so we can't just eat there. Like the the life, the blood still belongs to God, and He tells us how to use it, and that includes not eating it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> I did all. Yeah, there's some good questions in these uh, Q and A's. Yes. <laughs> Bit of hard that. chat, I think. <laughs> yeah, as always, I think uh, if, if there is a follow-up and stuff like that, I'm sure um, uh, John will be 
uh, people will send a message to John and John can follow it up. Um, and so in saying that, we'll move on to the next question. Uh, did all animals have to be sacrificed at the altar? Well, at, in, in, in this juncture here, we're talking about uh, Leviticus. Mm. So this particular chapter makes it clear that all the animals that had to be set, that was, you know, that all the sacrificial animals had to be brought to the tabernacle because um, the well, I mean that was that was command. It was centralized. It was centralizing the um, the worship of of the Lord um, because it had to be done through the priests. I think I think underlying this is the idea of the mediator because the priests were mediators between God and. And, and the people, weren't they? I mean, uh, because they offered up the sacrifices on behalf of the people, you know, they prayed to God on behalf of the people and uh, God spoke to the people um, through uh, the priests. Um, so um, it was to do like verses 5 and 7 were talking about. Mm. They were... It was to unify the people. They would all um, uh, worship God's way so that you didn't have people going off and doing their own things and worshipping idols under the pretense perhaps in the open fields of worshipping Yahweh. So um, it was, an, I suppose, an accountability exercise too, worship God in his way. Um, so there might be something uh, for us to ponder about there. I mean, we have a lot of freedom, but we always come to God through Christ um, and what he's done for us. Um, so, John, you got any thoughts on that? Uh, no, no, I think that's great. Yeah, all the sacrificial ones. There was like one way to give that sacrifice to God, and that was at the temple. The other ones, it seems like, like if you're just eating them for food, it seemed like the hunting section after that. It seems like you could kill them wherever. Yeah, I think there was that, that freedom in relation to the game and all that sort of stuff. And especially if you, um, some commentators do suggest that all the animal, at this point in time, all the animals have to be uh, brought here, even if you were just going to consume it as opposed to sacrifice it. But you know, I think verse 5, I think someone pointed out that this is, I think it says the words or somewhere there it talks about this is a statute or command for or forever or for all. Yeah, verse um, seven. 7, this is to be a lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. But I think it, my own view is it related to the sacrificial animals. Uh, that were to be sacrificed to Yahweh. Okay. All right. Thank you, Andrew. And I think this is the last uh, question we have. And I think I've also wondered about this in the past as well, but I think uh, it sort of made it clear, but I'll let you answer this. Some traditional Asian food contained blood jelly in them. In the past, people have said not to eat them as Christian. 
is this the passage where they might have gotten from? This does not apply to us now, I presume. <laughs> right. Um, so I think my long excursus before, um, <laughs> I think, answers that in the sense yeah. that, yes, you you would imagine that they would have got it from this chapter. This would be the, um, but not just this chapter, but this is the clearest one where it's laid out fairly clearly. Mm. And as we've seen, you know, um, Jesus turned that on it on its head in Mark chapter 7. Um, Peter had the revelation in Acts 10, the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, and the words in Romans 14 where Paul talks about the weaker brother. So I think the principle here, though, is that if you do have that situation, it's not a matter of... Um, uh, it's sure it doesn't apply now, but a weaker brother or sister might still have a very sensitive conscience about that. Yeah. And and uh, therefore it becomes an issue of love, I think. You know, do we hold back for the sake of the weaker brother or sister, you know, in that situation? So I think that's the answer there. I think, thankfully, I think that's a more straightforward one than the earlier questions. <laughs> yep, uh, exactly. All right, thank you, Andrew, uh, for your time and for all the answers, and also John.